Welcome everybody to Friday PM. What a joy to be with you on this eight-part series of Vine Songs History. And I'm here to introduce the fourth part halfway through, and we are going to talk about the birth of Vine Song. Last week we stopped at a very poignant place where John was in England and starting new churches. And I asked the team if I could please introduce this next part because my parents started with the first team with John when Vinesong was birthed. And that was 40 years ago, 1982. And I never knew that even as a child, four years old at the time, my parents would be in the first team with Vinesong and Let Your Living Water would be birthed. 40 years later, here I am and I'm getting teary-eyed. God can do great things through you if you are obedient and may you be blessed through this part and know that even though you might have a troubled past, God can turn all things to the good. In Romans 8 verse 29, he says, he foreknew you, he predestined you, he called you, he separated you and he glorified you knowing that you have a great destiny ahead. So if you have missed the last three parts, please go back and go on this journey with us to see the glory of the Lord displayed through one ministry started by the humble beginnings of a man who was birthed in Rhodesia many, many years ago and to this day where we are now in 2022 celebrating an incredible ministry. God bless you. And uh, so I worked with them as a team, the three of us. Yeah. And we prayed for people and uh, there was this man called Nicky Gumbel, was a lawyer. That's right. He had his briefcase under his arm and he came from the office and he stood there, you know, kind of watching. And we turned on him and prayed for him. Yeah. And, uh, of course, you know, Nicky Gumbel is Alpha. Yeah, the leader of Alpha. Leader of and mm. the vicar of HTV. HTV now. And Sandy Miller was there as well because I've heard their side of this story. Oh, you have? Mm -hmm. And Sandy Miller was there too. Mm. And I think David Watson was still alive. Right. So after that workshop, oddly enough, mm. the Invisible Church had moved to Richmond mm. and was pastored by a man called Errol O'Brien. And Errol and I, I mean, I didn't agree with him in many things. I, didn't, I always felt he needed to be freed from... Jehovah's Witness days. Not that he believed in them anymore, but there was something not right. And Ken Gullickson and John Wimber's wife and Ken's wife and I took the train out and I arranged that Ken was going to preach that morning and he was going to just discern, you know. At the Invisible Church. At the Invisible Church. We got there, Errol wouldn't have anything to do with him, didn't invite him to speak or anything. And uh, <clears throat> and Ken said to me, there's something wrong here. Mm. 
And uh, Errol has since passed away. I think he has very chronic diabetes. And uh, another pastor walked in a couple of years later and he said he felt that he should invite all members of the church to all the churches in Richmond and disband that church because what was good was no longer, there was too much control. And uh, so I went to Africa mm. and my father had retired as a missionary, but in his retirement he had started three churches. <laughs> good retirement. Yeah. And one was for the sugarcane cutters, the Indians yeah. in the sugar town. It was one street and lots of... Indian shops and busy traffic. And my dad found a little Hindu theater that he rented. And Sunday mornings they'd have to go and clean the strong smell of demon-possessed urine, wow. change the light bulbs from red to white, put the screen up, all in this terrible heat, and then have church. Wow. And uh, he wasn't doing too well when... I got there, he had, he had heart trouble. And he came for quite a while to show me the ropes and then I said, Dad, I'll look after the church while you get strong. So Charlene, who's in today's team, uh, her mother and her mother's sister were cabaret artists and uh, they'd got born again. And Pam, the one sister, went to YWAM and Pam came out to this little church, Indian church with her guitar and another friend and we started praying together and leading worship. The only place to pray that was clean and smelt good was in the broom closet <laughs> and uh, with all the cleaning fluid. And right in that closet, the Lord was busy preparing my heart. And um, eventually my dad couldn't get out of bed to come. So we did the meetings. And, you know, we were dealing with a lot of demons. Uh, they were all ex-Hindus and Hindus. And uh, that's when I learned about deliverance amongst Indians. And my dad was quite well-known in the area. They called him Doc the Croc because he baptized everyone he could hey, <laughs> lay hands on. And... Uh, when we started singing together and a couple of people from Vineyard came from Johannesburg and then the Lord said to me that he's going to give me songs and the first song I wrote was Let Your Living Water Flow on a piano accordion with broken notes and okay. everything. And my father from his bedroom said, those songs will be sung around the world. And uh, of course, people came up to me. I'd play a game with God and they'd say, you know, you're anointed. And I go, anointed? People didn't use that phrase very much in those mm, days. Mm. And I'd say, if another three people say it, I'll believe it, or another five. And they all were doing it. And then... Uh, I asked the pastor in Johannesburg, 
I went up to the first vineyard conference in Johannesburg and I spoke to Ken Gullickson and I think John was there afterwards and I said, what should I do? The team are waiting in Norway. I've had a couple of bad letters from the one guy and I'm caught. My father's dying. The church has started and uh, I said, I can call it, I've called it the vineyard to justify my, my being there because they were still paying me as well. Mm. So he said, you know, he says, obviously God is changing direction. They'll either have to get used to it, get on with it or go home. So I felt better going back. Mm. We started getting phone calls from everyone to please come and teach church uh, worship in their churches. And uh, my father was in hospital and he had his... He's baptizing people and leading people to the Lord. And the day came for him to come home. Mm. And he had a stroke that day. And so one side of him was paralyzed and he couldn't come out of hospital. He was so disappointed. He lay in bed. And I could tell that it was a terrible thing for him. Mm. The Indian congregation were praying for him to be healed and we were praying for the Lord to take him. And you could see the, the struggle for his life. He was in the middle and uh, he didn't want to live like that, you know, and he would slowly pull his head back till the pipe would slip out and leak into his bed. He didn't want to live. And I would experiment with him and say, Dad, are angels here? He, uh -uh. he couldn't talk. And every day I would run a list through with him and eventually he started saying yes. Uh, uh. And then I went, is Jesus here? And he went, hmm. Is the Holy Spirit here? And he went, yes. And I was doing a radio program with a brother he said, John, I've got a unique gift. I can pray for God to release people to die. Do you want me to pray for your father? So when he played the next track, he prayed with me, held my hands. And my father went to be with the Lord that night. And uh, so we were all relieved that he had gone. Mm. And so I asked the pastor from Johannesburg to come down and tell me if it was my time to, to come up there. And he came and he kept on saying, yes, it's time to leave. So I was overjoyed because I've never opened a door and I had to wait for the Lord. So I went to Johannesburg and my friend Graham Williams, who does uh, Hillsong recordings, Graham came, used to come and stay with me, and he said, uh, before you leave South Africa, you need to record those songs. Mm. So we went to the studio and we mm. recorded our first album. A family with a big farmhouse said God had showed them that they must look after the team while we are recording. It was wonderful. They, they fed us. We practiced in their living room. We went to the studio every day and when I came home one night, she said, 
God showed me that living water must have real strings. So we haven't got the budget. You know that costs thousands. She says, ah, that's what God told me. She's a very godly woman. And uh, when I went into the office, the studio the next day, I led the, the uh, engineer to the Lord. And a couple of days later, he said to me, I've got the Johannesburg Philharmonic coming to do some work, but I haven't got enough music for them to fill the time that they've been paid for. So I can do three songs of yours. So we'll have to get an arranger just to do it quickly. And there was uh, what God had shown her. I was on my knees looking through the glass, watching this full symphony. Wow. Playing Living Water. And then turning the pages for the other songs. And God had said he wanted that. And... um, Then Jimmy Swaggart was doing crusades in the big Johannesburg Stadium. And his driver owned his own uh, limo. And the prayer women of South Africa had specifically given him a Vine Song cassette. And they said, you have to play this for Jimmy. God told us. And... uh, the first thing Jimmy said to him when he got in the car, he said, don't, no music. Please don't ever put music on in this car. I want it quiet. And after the second night going there and back, he got a phone call from this lady and she said, have you played it for him? He said, no. She said, you better be obedient. He said, the guy doesn't want music. She said, you put it on. He said he was shaking like a leaf and he put it on, <laughs> turned the volume up and no, nothing came from the back. Then the thump. And he said, sorry, so sorry. He said, no. Can you stop the car and start that again? And he stopped the car and started living water again. And Jimmy Spade apparently cried like a baby. Wow. And he said, get hold of this man and tell him we need the charts, the music, everything. I'm shipping it straight to America for my new album. And so the album was called Let Your Living Water Flow. And uh, Jimmy used it for all his television filming. Every program started with Living Water. We were getting ready for service Johannesburg, South Africa, just a few months ago. The young man that was taking us to the Coliseum, to the stadium, pushed a tape into the tape deck of the automobile and this song started to fill that car, not only with melody but with the presence of the Lord. Listen to it. And it reached the top of the charts in America. 
and I've got an award for it. And people are saying it's a unique song, timeless classic. Mm. Uh, Pat Boone said it was a timeless classic, and Russ Taff, all these big guys. And uh, Vine Song had become quite big in South Africa. So you were already being, you, you had the name Vine Song. How did that come about? I mean, it was obviously the link with Vineyard. Um, one of the mm. one of the one of the members of the of the group. Mm. See, we are a team now. Mm. We were a group then, or a band. Yeah, yeah. I, I I don't like to be associated with a band or a group now. Right. Because you know we're true, really a ministry. Right. But one of the band members. It was his, his name is Barry Pretorius. He thought of the name Vine Song because of Vineyard. Right. So it inspired the name Vine Song. And I thought, what a brilliant name. Because mm. it's the body of Christ, you know. Mm. Songs from the Vine, Song from right. the Father's Heart. Right, it is a good name. Mm. And so we, had be, we were calling ourselves Vine Song. We were asked everywhere to lead worship, even with Ronald Bonke and... His big tent, which was the biggest in the world, and it blew down. I think you might have heard the story. Yes, indeed, yeah. And uh, we were there when that all happened. And I wasn't going to continue after the recording, but Charlene's aunt, Pam, who'd been with YWAM, she drove to come and see me. She said, this is not a, a band. This is a ministry. Is, mm, you must be careful not to miss God. Yeah. She said, I'm prepared to be part of it if you want me. And uh, and I'd already counseled her sister and her brother-in-law. Mm. They were very unhappy as pastors where they were, and they joined, and they could sing. So that became officially the first Vine Song team. And we went everywhere singing and ministering. And then... Uh, Charlene was four years old and her sister was small. They had to stop because Charlene had to go to school. You know, we didn't know about no homeschooling in those days. And then my cousin and her husband, who were musical, they came and joined me as the second team. And they came over. God said to leave South Africa. And I paid my dues as a missionary in Europe. Mm. It was now time to leave. I'd been faithful in Jerusalem, where the, where the Vine Song started, in Judea, in Durban, Natal, then Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then now for the uttermost parts of the earth. So, John, there's a real new move in amongst local churches in the area of worship. You realize that this is much more than being a musical, a Christian musical group or band. This is a real ministry. And now God has laid on your heart to return to the United Kingdom again in a different capacity. And this time with a team, the Vine Song team and its members. Perhaps you could tell us who was involved in that early team that went with you back to the UK. Well, there was a big church. There is a big church in Johannesburg called Rhema. And it's run by Ray McCauley, and he was my pastor, and he realized that Vinesong should go to Europe. And uh, 
he invited us to come and support him at a conference in Kensington, at the Kensington Town Hall. And a friend of mine invited us to come and stay on his farm in Hampshire. And when Charlene's mother and father had to stop being on the road, my cousin and her husband, who were musical, they became part of the second team. And a very good friend called Cliff Ellis, who had been led to the Lord through our ministry, he came with us as sort of everything. <laughs> Road manager, sound engineer. And uh, the four of us came to Europe. That's a very big story in itself, but we eventually caught the train to Hampshire. Dead tired, we got some photographs where we were completely... Uh, finished with all our suitcases. And we the day came for us to be at the Kensington Town Hall mm. and our time to sing two or three songs before Ray preached. And the men forgot to announce us. And Ray McCauley got such a fright and he said, oh, no, 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 these people are waiting. <laughs> and we sang and the anointing fell on the whole place and wow. the meeting became something different to what it was going to be. Right. And I didn't know there were pastors from the whole of England and Scotland in this mm. meeting. Mm. So we came back to the farm afterwards and the phone started to ring and bookings one after the other. Mm. And we realized that the ministry had been birthed mm. here and that England's a good place uh, because it's central to the world, really. Then... Ronald Bonke's fire conference in Europe came about, and the night before, I was singing Peace Like a River. Right. And I sang it laying, lying on the back seat all the way to Germany. And when we got there, I got a piano and I played it. The Holy Spirit gave me the words of the song, and he said, I am peace like a river. He said, my love is like a mountain. He said, the wind of my spirit is blowing everywhere. My joy is like a fountain. And he said, yes, I am the healing spring of life. So call on me and my fire will fall. So we're going to teach you the song called Peace Like a River. a song, you know, uh, an important song. And uh, a, a doctor friend of ours lent us um, a VW uh, bus. Mm. And when we put our equipment in it, my cousin and I could only sit in the middle where it was dark. And for the first 9,000 miles, we never saw anything. Right. <laughs> and one day, a man, actually an advisor to the Queen, 
for her farms or whatever his title was, he called us one day and he came and brought us money to buy our new VW bus. Mm. And um, we kept on saying, oh, that's beautiful. Oh, look at this, look at that. Carol's husband said, man, we've been here many times. We never saw it. We were always in the right. dark. <laughs> and uh, then how God opened Europe mm. was from then because someone contacted me and he said, the Lord wants you to come to Switzerland. And so I realized that we could learn to sing phonetically. Right. And so we started learning all our songs phonetically. And uh, God gave me a big vision once we went skiing in the Alps. And in the night, the Lord gave me this vision that in the mountains, there was a, a, a chalet, Swiss chalet. And as I went to knock on the door, the whole facade dropped off. And there was a concrete block and a solid building like a bunker underneath what looked like a lovely, pretty house. And there was a, a shield above the door with the swastika and all other kinds of things. Wow. And I opened this door and I walked down this dark passage. And when I got to the center of this dark house, there was a room and I heard breathing, deep breathing and God said, don't go in there. The spirit of the Antichrist is in here, sleeping. And uh, I told this to someone, and as a result, Switzerland opened up, hmm. and then Germany, and Weinsong was then birthed into the whole of Europe. Wow. You know, and over the years, we've gone to all the European nations and... Hmm. We sing in all the languages. In the next episode of Friday PM. They come up to us and try and talk to us in their language afterwards. We go, right. Can't talk it, but we can sing <laughs> Right. <laughs> and God raised up another team, but people from Europe. We had uh, uh, Guyana, South America. We had Italy, Bulgaria, Sweden, Holland, England. So all these nations. Mm -hmm.